Father God, I, I do pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts this week, that you would impart both faith and power to our lives, that we might live in joy, faith, and effectiveness. Holy Spirit, come and do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Who here is uh, in an in-between time? Raise your hand up uh, high. Who here is in an in-between time? It's amazing to me that so many of us respond affirmatively like that. Oh yeah, in-between time. I haven't even defined what that is. <laughs> but it's such, a, it's such a potent concept in life because we so often feel like we're stuck in between something, you know, and, and we might not even know what, uh, what it is. We just feel like we're living in some kind of not yet or some kind of, well, glad that's, off, that's over. Um, you know, we, we have this emotional concept of in between that I think is often a really dominant factor uh, in our lives. Uh, what, what are you in between uh, would be a reasonable question. Are you in between jobs? Are you in between seasons of life, whatever that means? Um, are you in between relationships? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, is it just kind of a time of transition? Or does life always feel like a time of transition to you? Anybody relate to that? Like, I, I've been in transition for about 35 years now. And, you know, but... It's, uh, it's surely wrapping up soon. Maybe you can't even tell for sure where the sense of being in between uh, comes from, but so much of life is in the in-betweens, isn't it? So much of life happens in the in-betweens, uh, it seems to me. Um, this week, um, I felt like the Lord spoke a word to me. And when I, when I say he spoke a word to me, I mean he, like, a word, like a, a literal word, and the word he spoke to me uh, one, uh, one morning in, when I was just sitting in my, my living room was the word interregnum. I think normal relationships, the Lord speaks words like behold, or, you know, verily, or stuff like that, you know, and, and then he said, but to me, he says, Jordan, interregnum, and I'm like, got it, yes, yes, Lord. Um, but it's a word, it's a word that, I, that I know, um, that, that I used in, in my past academic life. Interregnum means in between. Uh, technically, it means in between inter-reigns, like R-E-I-G-N, in between governments, interregnum uh, is, is what it means. In between, in between governments, in between directions, in between, you know, points, points of, of control. You're controlled by one thing, and then you have this time when you're not really forced directly to do anything. And then we assume that there's a time coming when somehow, someway, we'll be on point again. Something will make us pursue uh, direction again. And, and I think a lot of life is an interregnum. A lot of life is, is when we just kind of feel like we're in between things forcing us to do things. Does that make sense? 
We have that, we have that feeling. Uh, I'll just like cut to the chase. I think that's often a strategy of chaos in our lives because a big strategy of chaos is a strategy of delay, right? Chaos wants to make you feel as if you're in some sort of not yet in between season so that you don't do anything. That said, uh, there are periods of life where we're in between one major thing and the next major thing, and it gives us this emotional sense of an interregnum. Uh, so much so that I think these interregnums in life demand their own skill set. We have to get really good at them because they happen so frequently and because we feel emotionally uh, so frequently that we're in some kind of a, an in-between. Uh, a lot of life is like that, and I will say even life with God feels like it has a lot of in-betweens in it. Even life with God. Even this gospel life of mission that we're on. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What do you do when you're without hard direction forcing you to do something? What do you do in a time like that? What do you do when you're in an in-between? Now, let's just, let's just quiz. If the issue is lacking hard direction to do something, what's the solution? I'll say it again slowly. If the issue is lacking direction, what's the solution? Finding direction? Yes and no. Yes and no. So just kind of hold that in your head a minute while we do our warm-ups. Everybody roll your shoulders. Some of you are starting to do it automatically. That's great. Lean left, lean right. Give a high five to somebody next to you. All right. So this is audience participation time. Just say that to somebody near you. This is audience participation. This is where you have to participate. This is where you're going to participate. All right. Brownie points in heaven if you answer this question. What are some powerful truths? Shut them up. Powerful truths. God is good. Powerful truth. Thank you. There is a God. That's good. That's good. It works. Thank you. Thank you. It works. I'm sorry. Christ reigns. Christ reigns. Speaking of regnums, some, you are his beloved. Thank you very much. You're not bad either. Um, powerful truths. I'll take a couple more. Three brownie points in heaven, I'm telling you. Jesus is God. Yeah. God is not dead. I like that. Powerful. Beautiful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a consistent fellow. Uh, God uh, is never in an in-between. Sure, I'll take that. Who needs, who needs 60 seconds of light? Who needs 60 seconds of light? All right, Erica, stand up. You get 60 seconds of light. Uh, for 60 seconds, uh, we're just going to shout powerful truths at Erica. She can take it. Go. All right, we have to be more organized about this. Step in front of this section over here. I should have picked a, sh a shyer person. This would have been more fun. Uh, go ahead. All right, this section, shout powerful truths at Erica. She needs 60 seconds of light. Go. Okay. You guys kind of sucked. We'll move over here. We'll move over here. This section, go.
You guys sucked a little bit less, but all right, we'll go over there because these guys never let me down. All right, go. All right, yeah, yeah, there we go, a little bit, I knew it, I know. Now, Erica, just, I mean, I think fair is fair, turn around and shout truths at them. You guys are the best, and God loves you, and he has shown that love through you, Jesus. Beautiful, all right, we'll take it, good. All right. I'm, I'm, start, I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to feel warm. Uh, just some quiz, fill in the blank. Uh, in your purpose lies your, in your purpose lies your power. Thank you very much. You want power in your life. Uh, you have to uh, discover and move in your purpose. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Uh, seek first God's reign, and then everything else will be added to you. Uh, in other words, when you learn to participate in bringing the kingdom uh, to earth, then Everything else in your life will fall into place. Things will make sense. And you will become a powerful, purpose-driven person. We need to live out of our purpose as opposed to living out of our struggle. Major challenge in life. Uh, and we need to restore people to their purpose in God. I think that is our, uh, at least one way to express our primary mission of restoration in the world. There are a lot of people out in the world that just don't know what their purpose is. Everybody craves purpose, but a lot of people don't really know. Uh, what it is, and when we bring restoration, when we bring salvation, we bring powerful truths to people, but we also bring to them a calling back to their purpose, a calling back to who they are. Um, that is how we empower people to live. Now, maybe if you're in one of those unsettling types of in-between times, maybe you're interested in having something added to you. Maybe you're interested in some purpose and some power in your life. Uh, bear that in mind. Everybody uh, say, feed a sheep. Now you got to say it with attitude. A little, a, little more, a little more attitude, a little more swagger. Who can do this well? Who can do this well? I'm going to volunteer. Stand up and do it, Gats. I can always count on you. Go ahead. No? I believe in you, brother. Come on. Now, now with, with attitude. Come on. Come on. Come on. Give him some space. Here we go. Thank you. Feed the sheep. Come on. All right. Remember that. Uh, we have a, a scripture uh, today. It is from uh, the end of the Gospel of John. It's on the back of your programs. It's actually a story in two chunks. It's about a morning that Jesus spent with uh, his disciples. Uh, it's a story that is about Jesus spending time with them after he died and was resurrected, but before he ascended to heaven. So it's kind of, one of, it's kind of a story about that in-between time uh, in, in the gospel uh, narrative. And, and I think the disciples in this story are experiencing an interregnum, uh, which is amazing uh, to me. Even them. Right? Even the apostles, even the guys that changed the earth forever, those guys were kind of having this, eh, what do we do today kind of day. You know, and, and in between, an interregnum uh, in their lives. But it's a lovely story. Uh, here we go. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples 
this is the fourth, fifth time that he's appeared to them since his death and resurrection. He appeared to them by the Sea of Galilee, which is where it all started for these guys. Jesus meeting them along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Now Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, yeah, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. What were these guys by profession? Fishermen. Uh, and so Peter's like, well, here we are again, back where we started. I'm going to work. And everybody said, yeah, all right, let's go to work. Now early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus somehow uh, liked to disguise his appearance after his resurrection. Uh, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? A little dig. No, they answered, grumble, grumble, grumble. He said, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Uh, so what, what happened is that these guys typically fished in shallow water. And if you were up on shore and you could look down at the water, you could see the surface where fish would sometimes disturb, right? You could see where the fish were feeding. And then you would yell out to the fishermen, hey, they're over there. I see them feeding. And so you'd hurry over there and you'd throw your net. So this wasn't uncommon. Uh, and so they've got this stranger standing on shore. And he said, have you caught anything? Hey, I see some over there. Throw the net in that place. And so they comply. Uh, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Whew, Peter. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, by tradition, John, uh, the guy who, you know, directly or indirectly authored this gospel, said to Peter, it's the Lord, it's him. They had had a, an experience like this with Jesus previously. And John, who's no dummy, says to Peter, who is sometimes a dummy, um, hey, it's him. It's him. Uh, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it uh, off to work, and he jumped into the water. <laughs> and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. It was so huge they couldn't pull it in. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards, so they could row in. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning, uh, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And then what happens is that they all sit down and they have breakfast together. Well, Jesus, breakfast on the beach with the guys. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, so this is a switch in the story. Jesus is now having a very pointed conversation uh, with Simon Peter, uh, heretofore considered the chief uh, of, of the apostles. And he says, so Simon, now uh, Jesus had already renamed Peter, Peter, but he goes back to his old name, Simon, which literally means sandy or sh shifting sands or unstable person. <laughs> so Simon, do you love me more than these? And that's a potent question. Because on the night before Jesus died, uh, Simon Peter boasted to Jesus and said, Hey, even if everyone else abandons you, I won't. Just so you know. And then what happens? Peter abandons him fairly thoroughly. And so Jesus is sort of indirectly bringing up that moment. 
So, you love me more than anyone else, eh? And so Simon Peter realizes, oh, we're going to talk about that, aren't we? Uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I get it now, Lord. Resurrected from the dead, you're awesome. I'm back in the, I'm back in the fold. Yeah, I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Uh, he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Why does Jesus ask the question three times? Because G Peter had denied Jesus three times. So it's a very pointed little interaction that they're having. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Let's get beyond this, Jesus. I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he adds this. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Which is a very euphemistic way of saying to Peter uh, uh, how his old age would be for him. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. It turned out that Peter would be taken captive by the Romans, that people would lead him around and finally be executed. So Jesus is kind of politely foreshadowing this. Then he said to him, Peter, follow me which is the first thing that Jesus said to Peter along this lake shore uh, a few years earlier, uh, as it turned out. Do what I do. Uh, Peter, I went to my death being led around by someone. Do the same thing. Nice conversation. Uh, usually this is called the restoration of Simon Peter. Uh, Jesus speaking to him, implicitly forgiving him for his uh, denials and calling Peter uh, back to work. And I think it is that, but it's more than that. Let's just go through the story quickly. Uh, again, I think this is, this is a great example of an interregnum. It's an in-between time for the heroes of the gospel, for, for the apostles, uh, the guys that would go out to change the world. Uh, wh whenever I read this story from John 21, I always, I always hear it without a soundtrack. You know what I mean by that? I read through the other gospel stories, and they, to my mind, they always have a pulsing soundtrack. I mean, they're just filled with action. They're just filled with this sort of intensity. And then we get to this story, and I, and I always kind of just kind of hear quiet. You know, it's just, it's a really quiet day. You can hear maybe a few birds singing off in the distance. You can hear uh, the waves of the lake gently lapping on the shore. This is just a quiet time. It's an interregnum. It's a pause in the history of the world. Uh, and even for these guys, it strikes me that following Jesus could be very workaday. It could be very normal. I mean, think what these guys had gone through. They've been called by Jesus. They performed countless miracles. They had gone through Jesus' triumph, his death, his resurrection. I mean, they have, they have, they've had the most mind-blowing lives ever. And they get up one day and they're like, we don't have anything to do. What do we do? That's just a profound observation for me. You know? Like, uh, 
It's Monday, let's go to work. You know, that's even for them, that's life. And it's just so important to understand that. Most of life is normal. Even for these guys, by which I mean most of life has a very normal context to it. What do you do? You get up in the morning and you go to work. And that's what they decide to do. Well, what do we do now? I don't know, the miracles, the Lord's coming to the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus killed, resurrected, or we're supposed to, what, what do we do? Uh, go to work? Good idea. Uh, who's driving the carpool? That's sort of the story. Uh, I think it's a smart thing for them to do, to go to work. They're not excused from that either. But then Jesus shows up, and he has a little object lesson for them. Uh, He says, throw out the nets again. They catch this huge haul of fish. I didn't include the verses where it tells you they caught supposedly 153 fish. They counted them up, which in those days was the the theoretical number for how many nations there were in the world. In other words, they they, uh, caught one fish for every people group. Uh, in the known world uh, in those doors. In other words, a global haul. This was a metaphor for harvesting souls for the kingdom of God from all over the world. And it probably would not have been lost on the disciples even as it it happened. You will harvest from everywhere. But what's the difference between a normal workaday morning and global harvest? What's, what's What's the difference? What makes it happen? trying again. That's what made it happen, right? They're casting nets all night long, these professional fishermen. They catch nothing. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, I'll try again over here. And they do it. And they revolutionize the globe, so to speak. The difference between no fruitfulness and fruitfulness of an unimaginable magnitude is just trying again. I just think that's a profound life lesson. And it's a lesson that Jesus wanted to drive home to these guys. Here's how you change the earth. You go to work and you, you make a cast again. That's, that's, that's just beautiful right there. That's just, just one of my favorite stories uh, of, of the gospel. Our job, try the right thing. God's job, help with the outcome. You know? Purpose doesn't lie in success. Purpose lies in trying. Success is merely an outcome. And that's in God's area of responsibility, not ours. And there's a second chunk of the story, which is the personal restoration story. Jesus kind of gets Peter's attention and and pulls him aside and says, Hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's like, meh. And Jesus responds with, All right, I forgive you for that denial. No, that's not how Jesus responds. Uh, Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Go to work. That's Peter. That's Jesus' response to Peter. If you want to recover from your great failure, go to work. You know, feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. You know, that's the job. Don't be like, you know, all... On your face, mea culpa, woe is me, I blew it, please forgive me, please forgive me, speak to my identity. And Jesus is saying, like, go to work, go to work, take care of people, take care of people. That's the, 
biggest thing I can tell you is do something small like that. It's just a, it's just a, a fantastic illustrative interaction that you know, Jesus is sharing with an intimate way with one of his intimate friends. When Jesus says, follow me to Peter, it's as if he's saying, feed one, one sheep at a time. You know, feed the lambs, the little ones. You don't, don't neglect anybody. Who's ever in front of you, whatever flock is around you, feed them. Take care of them. Nourish them. That's, that's, all, that's all I want you to be thinking about, Peter. Nothing grander than that. And if you do that, you'll end up changing the world eventually, but you have to do that. You have to do that small thing if you want to be the great person that I told you you would be. You know, Peter, you'll never be great. You'll never be who you are. You'll never harvest the world. You'll never be awesomely powerful until you care for the sheep in front of you. Peter, he might have added, you'll never feel totally forgiven. You'll never be secure in your identity in God until you just take care of the person in front of you. Just, you know, you following? Just so, so, so much of this interaction is in what Jesus doesn't say. Um, what he says is, is so poignant. Uh, I would uh, summarize it this way, uh, as I've done uh, for, my, for myself, one of my personal proverbs. The only way to be great is to try again at what you already know how to do. John chapter 21, that would be my summary of the, of the chapter. The only way to be great is to draw, try again at what you already know how to do. I don't care what your in-between is. I don't, I don't care why you feel as if you're in an interregnum. While you're in it, try again. <laughs> While you're in it, keep trying. Nothing fancy. If you've got the right thing to do, you keep trying it no matter what. Whether you feel like you're in an important time or an in-between time. You just keep doing what you know how to do. And success is merely an outcome. You following? You get it? Everybody clap your hands if you do. Thank you. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind, seriously. All right, uh, if you know the right thing to do, uh, you just keep trying it, uh, whether you're on or in between. What is the right thing to try? All right, we're Blue Water Mission. Uh, we should know this. What is the right thing to try? Feed the sheep. Everybody say it. Feed the sheep. Now, what does that mean exactly? Jesus has so many metaphors. I mean, there's sheep, there's light, there's salt. What, what is it? What does it mean to feed the sheep? Go to work. Good. Always be discipling. There's uh, a good Blue Water saying. You, 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 you know, you bring the kingdom to the person standing in front of you. Uh, here are the steps. We've been talking about these for about 10 weeks now, so I'll just run through four of them. Number one, share faith. And when I say share faith, I don't mean share about your faith. I mean share faith. Share the attitude itself. What people are most hungry for in the world is just an attitude of faith, an attitude of, hey, something great could happen here. That's what people are hungry for. Why? Because everybody in the world is afraid. So you come without fear. You come in an attitude of faith. And uh, that will pave the way for you to share love 
and, and affection, uh, which is often a big part of sharing faith. If people feel that you love them, it takes away their fear. Uh, part of it might be offering practical help to their lives, you know, uh, helping them move the dresser, uh, driving them to a doctor's appointment or something like that. Uh, might be healing their bodies supernaturally or healing them in some other sort of mundane way, whatever, but you share faith attitude and then you do whatever you have to do uh, to make them uh, trust the God uh, behind the faith that you have in your life. Share faith and then number two, reveal purpose. Reveal purpose to the person. Reveal their purpose to them. How you do that, what's a great way to reveal somebody's God-given purpose to them? You know this. What's that? Tell them yours. Share about your purpose. Sure. Hey, I've got purpose. Uh, do you? What did I do there? I asked a question. Okay, we have these discipleship questions. What are they? All right, you know what they are, right? Yeah. Jesus often taught people by asking them questions. Um, in which they revealed portions of themselves when they answered. And, you know, that's the, the chief tool of, of discipleship. So, you know, discipleship is about revealing a person's purpose to them and then getting them to move in that purpose. So share faith, ask discipleship questions, and that sort of starts the process. Uh, then make an invitation to action. Invite them to some sort of action step. Maybe it's coming to the Christmas concert with you. Uh, that would be a great one uh, during this season. And action enacts discipleship, right? That's where the change starts, when you start following through on something. So you ask, ask somebody uh, some God-inspired questions and then invite them to take an action step with you, uh, whatever that might be. And then follow up. This discipleship is follow through and follow up. And, you know, stick with it. Stay on it. Uh, you have to stay on it. You guys know this process. We've been rehearsing it for the last 10 weeks. That's the right thing to try. When do you try it? Well, try it in the in-between times too, is my answer to you this morning. Who should you do it to? It's a terribly constructed grammatical sentence, but um, right? Who, who is the right person to bring this gift to? The person in front of you. And whatever sheep is around you, you know, there are people around you in life. They're sheep or they're lambs, you know, they're, they're, they're animals, they're creatures, they're persons who need care is what that metaphor means. Everybody uh, around you. You decide individually uh, who you want to bless, but it has to be someone. Feed a sheep! That was very lukewarm. Feed a sheep! Thank you. Uh, today. Today. You have to. I'm sorry? Thank you. All right. Uh, how, how, do, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you, well, how, how should you get started on this? I want to pause here and talk about chaos and trying in the world. Two very important themes for us. Uh, we want to bring the kingdom to the earth. We want to bring kingdom order to the earth. But the world is in chaos. There is a force of chaos that constantly presses against you. Uh, 
Jesus sometimes referred to it in similar terms. Sometimes he called it the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of darkness or something like that. But there are chaotic forces that always press against us. It's like a spiritual gravity that always tries to prevent you from following through on things. And so we have to get very good at trying and at trying again. There are three things basically that you need to be a good trier every day of your life. They are priorities, routines, and force. Right? You know this already. You have to be clear on what your priorities are in life. What's your priority in life? Well, you are called to purpose. You have to know what your purpose is. You've got to bring in the kingdom. If nothing else, your priority is to be salt and light to the people around you all the time because you don't hide light under a bushel. You constantly shine. Constantly shine. You are constantly on purpose. Never off purpose. I don't care if you feel like it's a riveting time of life or an in-between time of life. You're always trying. You have to have that priority in your head. And then you need to develop some routines for it so that you don't have to wrestle every day about what to do. What routines do you have daily to follow through on your purpose to be salt and light? What routines do you have to follow through on discipling the people around you? And if you don't have any routines, you will not complete much because you need a regular way to go about it or chaos will kick your butt every week. I can pretty much guarantee it. If you wait around every day until inspiration hits you, you're done for. Have a routine. Have a routine. Get up, go to work, throw down. Uh, and then you need an attitude of force to do it because there will constantly be, be gravity against you. Remember, you have a kata. You have to have an <coughs> attitude in order to press through that last bit of gravity that prevents you from starting the conversation, sharing an attitude of faith, asking discipleship questions, making an invitation, and then following up the next day to see how it went. You, you need to push through on that. The kingdom of heaven belongs to forceful people, Jesus says. Uh, with that in mind, here's a, here's a kingdom routine that I do in my interregnums. This is what I do in the in-between times of my life. I call it five minutes of light. I like to label things. It helps me. I don't know. Life should be expressed in t-shirt slogans. That's my feeling. Five, five minutes of light. Uh, what, what I do is, I'm like, in between time, I have these times during my day where it's like I'm working on one major project. I'm about to go to the other. It seems like I need a break. I, I, need, like, I need like five minutes to, to be in between. What am I going to do? I do five minutes of light, which means I take five minutes, and for five minutes, I concentrate on being light to one person. And usually what that means for me is I send a text to one person or I send an email to one person. Occasionally I might even call somebody. Uh, I hate to talk on the phone. Uh, I don't know, it's a phobia I have, but occasionally I will do it. And you can tell if I'm doing it in my five minutes of light mode because I'll talk very quickly and I'll say, hey, well, nice talking to you, and I'll sign off. I, when, I, when I say five minutes of light, what I mean is five minutes. My deal is that I don't let it go longer than that. And what it does is it disciplines me to keep it small. Because that's a problem in life. I think that my purpose always has to be grand. But the stories we get, you know, suggest that grand purpose is usually small things. And so I need routines that force me to honor that principle. Otherwise, I think about changing the world and I forget to change the sheep. I forget to actually care for 
the creature in front of me. Is anybody else like that? Chaos loves it when you think about changing the world and forget to change your friend. Chaos loves that. Because the way to change the world is to change one friend at a time, typically. You follow me? And so this is the genius of my routine, five minutes of light. Uh, I suggest it to you. I, uh, I want to honor the interregnums in life. I want to honor the in-between times because they are a reality. The challenge is to make them fruitful just like the other times. And the way to do it is through small things. By trying at things that you've done a thousand times before, and you never know when that small thing will turn into a global harvest. World change is just one cast away. You never know. But you do know that if you do nothing, nothing will come from it. That you do know. So do small things routinely. That's how we move through the interregnums, the in-between times uh, in life. I, I, I have this adverse reaction uh, when I'm having a conversation uh, with someone about what's going on in their life, and they say to me, well, I'm just waiting on God. Like, oh! I never, I never do that. I usually smile pleasantly because that's me. I'm just a smiley, pleasant person. But I'm like, you're, you're waiting on God? I mean, for what? There, there's, there's a sheep. Right? Now you can say uh, I'm waiting on God when it refers to like certain specific things in life. I mean, we've all got these situations in life where, you know, we want to change, we do all we can, and there's really nothing more that we can do, and so we wait in faith. You know, we just have confidence that now God's going to do his part. There are, there are situations in life like that, yes. But when you hit those situations, you're like, well, I feel like I've done all I can here. Now I'm going to sit on the sofa with my arms folded. No, don't do that. If you're waiting on God over here, then take action over here. Right? Even if it's just five minutes of light. Because that could end up being the trigger that changes the whole ballgame for you. Man, I'm throwing so many different metaphors in here, but you get my explanation, right? So don't, you can wait on God, but never just wait on God. Super important life skill when it comes to the in-between times. When it comes to navigating the interregnum sense uh, of life. You should never wait on God only. Um, even in the in-between times, we move in purpose. And we can help each other with that by, you know, looking each other in the eyes and slapping the shoulder of the person next to you and say, hey, feed a sheep! Come on! Let's do that. And when you slap someone, do it hard. <laughs> feed a sheep! You got this. Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll wait until I hear some smacks. We got some bare shoulders out there. I want to hear contact. If you leave a handprint, they are not likely to forget. This is Discipleship 101, people. You know what I love about interregnums? You know what I love about the in-between times in life where you don't have like specific direction to do specific things? I love them because uh, they develop in us the capacity to 
wait for it, run our own lives. Which I think is a really vital skill when it comes to maturity. Isn't God supposed to run our lives, you say? No. That's your job. He did not make you a robot. God leads our lives. You know, but we run them. Uh, we're the people that get up in the morning and make decisions and, and make follow-through. If your version of God being in charge of your life means that you don't do anything until God specifically makes you, then, then you kind of suck at this discipleship thing. And you're going to spend the majority of your existence in an interregnum, in between anything interesting and the next interesting thing. Right? You run your life, and you have to grow up into that. And I, and I believe that very often God gives us these interregnums in life so that we, we grow up. I mean, you, do you remember that experience? You know, when maybe you had just left home, you had just moved out of your family house, and you were on your own, and you're looking at that pile of laundry, or you're looking at that uncooked food on the counter, and you're like, nobody's doing that laundry. Nobody's cooking dinner. What? Who, who takes care of that? Oh, crap. I do. You know, that's, that's my job now. I have to actually run things in, in my own life. And, and if you don't get good at that, then your life uh, is chaotic uh, for a long time. Some of us are still there in various ways. You know, and these in-between times sort of force us uh, to, to grow up and, and to be mature. We run our lives. Hopefully we run them in a way that honors and respects God and the direction that he gives us. You know, but you are the only you uh, in, in your life. We're not robots. We're not even infantrymen in the army who only move when they get an order. No. We have a bit more authority and freedom and independence than that. And I love that about life. I love that God made us that way. We human beings, we get to be in charge of our own kuleana. Your life is an outpost of the kingdom of God, and you're in charge of the outpost. You get to run it however you want. You're the officer in charge of you. Uh, and if you're in charge of, of an outpost, if you're in charge of a business, and your employees are just sitting around look at each, looking at each other and doing nothing, what do you do? Oh, you come up with things to do, don't you? You come up with things to do. Come up with things to do every day. That's the strategy uh, for the in-between times. Uh, you might be in an in-between time in life right now. Many of you said that you were at the beginning. Uh, you might be in an interregnum. Maybe one reason that you were in an interregnum is because you're starving. Maybe you need to be fed. You know? Maybe you're the sheep that needs the food right now. And the way that I handle that as a leader of a faith community is that I try to build a community in which everyone is always offering each other food. And then it helps us as a community navigate the in-between times so nobody gets stuck there permanently. And maybe you feel like you've been stuck in an in-between time for an awfully long time. And this is where your community can help you, provided that you embrace it and you expose yourself to it. Dang, you ought to be in an Ohana group. I'm telling you. 
You need co-travelers in your life. You need to join one. There are some listed in the bulletin. Um, Kwok and Lila spoke about their Ohana group when they gave the Advent testimony, and they said they're already cramming more people into their little apartment than they can, than they can fit. So that's the one that you want to join. It's evidently quite popular and effective. <laughs> go, go ahead and approach them. And, and they might politely say, you know, you know who runs a good, a good Ohana group? Craig. <laughs> I think, I think they, they can fit 30? in shifts. Uh, all Ohana group leaders, stand up. Stand up. Some of the back two, there's Tony, Tony and Karen, they've been leading a group. No, oh, wait, 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 stand up, come on. Did I say sit down? Um, feed the sheep. You guys, feed the sheep, right? That, that's your job. So look around. Everybody say, bah. <laughs> so you need to go get, make sure that everyone here is in a, in a Ohana group, in a fold uh, of some sort. All right, now you may sit down. And if we don't do that, what happens is so many of us get stuck in between, and I just can't stand that. I just can't stand that. We are Blue Water Mission. We are not Blue Water Waiting Room. <laughs> right? And we should always be doing uh, small things. Even if you're hungry, even if you're stuck, even if you feel incapacitated, you're in a severe in-between time, uh, please don't ever stop feeding other people. Please don't ever stop caring for the person in front of you because that's your purpose. And in your purpose lies your power. As soon as you stop ministering, you stop living. All the power leaves your life. So don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. You have to stay on purpose, no matter what season of life that you're in. Now, you might, from time to time, have one of these wonderful quiet days with Jesus. You know, you're just kind of hanging out with the guys, you're hanging out with the gals, you know, and Jesus is like, hey, let's, let's have a quiet breakfast together. Let's have, let's have a, a chill day. And, you know, I've, I've made you breakfast. Do you ever feel like God makes you breakfast. Evidently, Lila does. Oh, thank God you're here. God. Um, I, just, I just appreciate your presence. I, I appreciate you showing up for, for me today. And you have days like that. But when you have days like that, those quiet days, those restorative days, where Jesus comes and he speaks to those places where you need healing, where you need forgiveness, where you need restoration, where you need to be reminded of your identity like he did for Peter on this beach on this morning. Even when you have those conversations with Jesus, they will typically end with Jesus saying, now get to work. Now find somebody to take care of, because that's how this works. Even in the interregnums, and you never know, it could lead to greatness, because no interregnum lasts forever. And pretty soon you may be running pell-mell in purpose. You may have lots of strange people in your living room. Seeing lives changed, lights go on, fruitfulness occurring. And I'm telling you, that's what you're made for. One way or another, that's where you're headed. So bear that in mind at all times. Let's pray.
I, I just kind of uh, hear the buzz of God conversing with some of you uh, individually. Um, I, I know that he's talking to some of you about things that you do during your in-between times that aren't so healthy. You know, when we get in between, uh, we feel bored. Sometimes we reach for uh, unhealthy comforts. Um, yes, repent of doing that stuff. It's nonsense and it does not help you. Uh, but part of repentance will be exchanging that unhealthy stuff for healthy stuff. You got to do five minutes of light for someone. And when you do five minutes of light for someone, it will help release power for you to stay away from the crap. It will help prevent those spirals that you go into. I know that the Lord is speaking to you about it, and if you listen to the tone of his voice, I know that he will be speaking excitedly and positively, not judgmentally and heavily. He wants this for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would rest upon each one and I pray that you'd perfect your agenda for us this morning. Uh, I pray that you would bring faith to us, that you would move among us in an attitude of faith that is contagious. I pray, Lord, that you would move us through every in-between time in life. Uh, we trust you with the outcomes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the adventure uh, and this season of waiting fulfilled. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.